you should probably sit down. I'm going to talk a while. That would be good. Salt Company, we're back, baby. Right? Hey, any, any freshmen in the crowd tonight? Anybody? And then uh, anyone, this is your last salt kickoff, right? Yeah. That's like bittersweet, right? If you don't know who I am, my name's Michael. I get to lead uh, this crazy, awesome ministry. And I'm really glad to see all of you great-looking people on this field. I know you're sitting on the field. There's those weird little black bugs that might bite you a few times, but I promise it's just Satan. I want you to listen to me, right? <laughs> I want you to focus. And I know we've, we start things off every year like this. We don't stay on this field because it's Iowa, and tomorrow it could be snowing, right? We have no idea. <laughs> what's about to happen, but every Thursday night we gather together, but beyond just the, the singing and what I'm about to do, teach from the Bible, we're way more about what happens throughout the week. See, before we're ever an event that happens on a Thursday, we're a community that follows Jesus together. We're going to get more into that after I'm done talking for a while, but I want you to know that each of you has a story. Whether you realize it or not, you are subconsciously living out a narrative. And inside each and every one of you is a desire to see whatever it is in your heart totally fulfilled. And I believe, and anyone that you meet who's come to Salt Company long enough believes that if you do not have a certain person at the center of that narrative, you are missing the mark. And that you are incomplete. And his name is Jesus. That's what we're all about at Salt Company. That's why we went from in my feelings to somebody rising from a tomb, right? If you notice that. It's because at the end of the day, the reason we gather, yes, it's, be, it's to be together, but it's because someone has brought us together first. And his name is Jesus. We want to be like him. We want to be with him and we want to do what he did. And so we come together as a ministry and we're part of a local church, Candeo. So it's not just a Thursday thing, it's a Sunday thing. We don't think you just need one drop of Jesus on a Thursday and you're good. We think your life needs to be oriented around him. And by doing that, you'll actually find that the thing that's in your heart, whether you realize it or not, will finally meet the thing it's been searching for. And it's actually in a person. And so I don't know what brought you to this field tonight. I don't know what you would say about Jesus, but tonight... For some of you, I want to introduce you to him. And then for those of you, like if it's your last kickoff, I just want to remind you about the goodness of an old friend. Can we do that together? So the thing about Jesus is when you meet him, when you interact with him, when people in the scriptures, the Bible meet Jesus, they usually have to respond. Actually, every time they have a response, you can't really just meet Jesus because even indifference is a response, right? And so tonight, I want to bring us into a story with lots of people meeting Jesus, and I want to see how they respond. And it's in a book in our Bibles called The Gospel of John. So if you have your app or if you brought your Bible and you want to try to read in the dark, go to John chapter 5. We're going to read like the first 16 verses, but if you're like, I don't want to do that, I'll have it on the screen. I thought ahead. They pay me a lot of, no, just kidding. But if I also just said something, you're like, John 5, 16, like, is this the weird moment where the Kool-Aid comes out? I don't know what that is. That, that could sound like cult language. I promise it's not. 
we believe that the Bible is God's word. We don't just like have TED Talks that happen on Thursdays, right? We're not just talking about things that interest the person speaking that week. No, we open God's word. We believe it was written through men, but inspired by God. And it's not a textbook like the one you overpaid for a few days ago, okay? <laughs> and it's not a book of knowledge or facts. It is a book that has knowledge and it has fact in it, but it actually works more like a mirror, and that mirror reveals our hearts and then in doing so helps us see where we need to change. But it's not so much how we do it, but how God does it. And so geometry can't change you. I failed it in sophomore year and I'm just fine, okay? It, maybe it can. You probably need to know what triangles do. But it can't change you the way God can. And I want to walk through this story with you. And I want to see if maybe Jesus does something to each of us. So in John chapter five, verse one, we begin. It says, after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem by the sheep gate in Jerusalem. There is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. They're just five tall pillars surrounding a pool, like a really big hot tub. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So the first thing you have to ask is, what does it mean after this? So after what? What has been happening? See, Jesus has begun to kind of unveil why it is he's on earth. And he's begun to do that through a bunch of different signs, these miracles, these incredible things that can't be explained by any kind of man-made process. And in the Gospel of John, there are seven unique signs that the author brings to our attention. And as Jesus is revealing this power and this purpose, the reason he's on earth, he just got done with his second sign. And see, it's, it's worth telling you about because what happened is this, this Roman official, this non-Jewish guy's son is dying. And so imagine just this guy searching through the streets because he heard Jesus was in town. And falling at his feet, he says, Jesus, my son is dying. You have to come to him. Jesus looks at him and he says, go. You're so, it's like I'm popping popcorn, you guys. What is this? Is it my beard, Tim? I know, it's very manly. That's what my wife said. Jesus looks at this guy and he says, he doesn't say, yeah, I'll come with you. He says, no, go. Your son's healed. The Roman official hears that, goes home, And before he can even get through the door, a servant is running to him, sir, your son is like new. And he asks, when did it happen? And realizing that it happened the minute Jesus told him to go home because he would be fine, he fell, worshiped God. And all that to say, these miracles are on purpose. Jesus is trying to get us to see that he's telling a story and revealing something about who he is and about who he are with everything that he's doing. Even a few pages before that, he turns water into wine, not just trying to get invited to all the parties, but he's actually trying to let people know what kind of abundant and glorious and good kingdom he's bringing in with them. This official son healing, he's trying to show that all peoples can now receive the blessing of God. Not just the Jews, but even this Roman person that they would consider unclean can now receive this blessing. And in between these seven signs, he's still doing all of these wild things, drawing the curtain back more and more on why he came to earth and what it is he wants to accomplish. And in the midst of these signs, that's where we find ourselves, at this Jewish temple near a pool surrounded by a vast number of these disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. You have to ask, why are they at this pool? Why would they sit around this place? Probably all the time. 
is because there is this weird kind of Hebrew urban legend that every once in a while an angel would come in and put its finger in the pool and stir it up. It's really weird. I don't get it. But if you got in while the water had been stirred up, you might actually be able to be healed of whatever it was that had crippled you, and you could go on and live a brand new life. But the important thing for us is not the urban legend. It's the fact that Jesus was there. It's the fact that he is at this place doing what he always does, seeking out those who no one else wants anything to do with. He's come to a place that people probably rarely visited. But it's what Jesus does. He goes after those who are lonely, those who are exiled, pushed aside. He always heads towards the sick. And the story then shifts from this multitude, probably a crowd of this size, to just one person. And it says in verse 5 that one man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. Okay. 38 years. You guys, people didn't usually live that long back then, okay? That means he was literally by that pool for a lifetime, right? We freak out if a web page takes 38 seconds to load. Or like when you send that risky text and you get the three bubbles, it's like the most agonizing thing waiting to see what she'll say, right? Guys, don't play coy because we're at a church meeting. I know that you like to flirt and you're looking for a date. And that agonizing moment, what is she going to say? First of all, if you asked her out through a text, hopefully she says no. You should say it to her face, side note. Okay, we got some claps, there it is. All the girls, yeah, we're at you and I, that makes sense, all right. But this man for 38 years would have been abandoned by his family very early on, whenever it had happened, whether from birth or not, we don't know, but his family would have quickly alienated him, not able to take care of him, and he had lived a lifetime sitting by this pool, unable to work with the only community, other miserable, hopeless people. I mean, you know what it's like to be sick. The best part is that you know you're probably going to get better. Like when you have the flu, you guys ever feel like you're laying in bed and you're 10 leagues under the sea, like just lead weights, you're lying there, all the color in your skin is going, <laughs> Right? You sound like some sort of clogged dragon is inside your garbage disposal. It's just this, this weird deal. Your body is so sore, you feel like you must have been mugged the night before and you can't remember it. You're laying in bed. But slowly, like slowly, you, you, you rise out of it and you get better. Imagine if you never did. It's likely this man would have been in pain far worse than that for 38 years. In verse 6 then continues our story. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, which is a huge understatement, he says to him, do you want to get well? Other translations say, do you want to be made whole? And we have to pause because that could be a really rude question, right? <laughs> He's been there for 38 years. What do you mean, do I want to feel better? He clearly, he's, he's saying, I'm by this pool. I'm at this place. Of course I want to be healed. If I was barfing my guts out a couple weeks ago, TMI, had this weird brisket, right? One in the morning, I had gotten up a few times. My wife goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, I am hurling this brisket everywhere. And I'm in like mid-dragon pose, right? Like, you know the curled dragon, like the Chinese serpent, that, that kind of thing? It's going everywhere. What if in the middle of that she goes, man, do you wish this would stop? <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. 
it would sound a lot more muffled. I'm not going to get into it, but of course, of course, I would want to stop. So we have to dig a little deeper because Salt Company Jesus is not just asking this man if he wants his legs to work. He's asking this man if he realizes all of the change that will have to come with it. He's asking this man, he's saying to them, there are implications beyond your ability to soon run a 5K if I do this. He's trying to help him see, do you really want this? Because although his life was lived in misery, it was all he knew. It was familiar. He had grown up likely this way. He at least had a community of other miserable people. And it was probably the only story he had ever known. And when Jesus is asking this question behind it, he's trying to help him see that he doesn't know it yet. But Jesus is saying, you, you will not be able to live a crippled life. You cannot return here with healthy legs and live the same way. Something would have to drastically and instantly change if you walked again. This man's healing would have consequences that he would need to respond to. And I want to make a note of that because I believe we live in a culture that says that you can accept Jesus and the only thing that has to change is where you sit on a Sunday. And that is not real Christianity. When Jesus meets you, it always, it, it must, and if it's real, it accompanies life change. Not just a location on a Sunday. This Jesus was not offering that to this man, and he never offers anything that small to anyone in the scriptures. But maybe we're still skeptical, and we think, okay, I'd still want my legs to work. And I'm telling you, he's just like any of us, because we all tolerate like less than ideal situations, because we're just kind of nervous, or we just don't realize what the solution would really entail. Okay, small way. Some of you, like me, have certain restaurants where you will always get the same thing, right? You, like, you always get that same thing because you know if it goes poorly, you're just going to be staring at your friend's food who got the same thing they always do, and you're just going to have food envy. And no one likes anyone with food envy, right? Like, you're sitting there, you're enjoying your burrito, and your buddy who got the bowl with lettuce is just like, man, I really should have gotten that. Could I have a bite? No, you dirty rabbit. You made your choice. <laughs> I'm going to eat my steak. You enjoy your lettuce. Right, or getting in shape, right? All of us want to be in really good shape, but if you're like me, cereal always sounds good at 11 p.m., right? Or like, I will never turn down a free Chick-fil-A sandwich, okay? That's just, I'm a, I'm a born-again believer here, people. I love Jesus, and I love Chick-fil-A. I'm never gonna turn that down, right? And then, I mean, some of us, this is a little more serious, and I don't mean to turn the corner that quickly, but some of us have stayed in really bad relationships, or stayed with friends who weren't really nice to us because we were so afraid of, well, what if we had nothing? And so in a lot of ways, our hearts work like this crippled man's heart. And so maybe Jesus isn't that off for asking this question. And maybe he really does know what's ticking inside of each of us. And so what does this man say to Jesus? Verse 7, we find out. He says, sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to pull me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. See what he's saying? This man, he saw 
he saw a desire in himself to be well, but he saw the pool as like the only conduit, the only way that that healing would ever happen. And since there was no way for him to do it, his answer is actually incredibly heartbreaking. He's basically saying, it's impossible. I have no one to help me, and I will never do it on my own. The only possibility I have to be healed, I will never be able to attain. See, the ache in this man's heart to be whole is so real, but the hope of it ever happening seems to be completely gone. And so every day, not knowing what else to do, he returns to his misery, and he sits by the pool, and he sits by the pool, believing that this is his life and that there are no opportunities. And I think it's safe to say that you don't need anything broken outside of you to realize that maybe there's something broken inside of you. I think all of us, to some degree, have that ache in our hearts on this field. I think some of you have had that ache for the longest time, and maybe even coming to college, you were hoping maybe it would go away. Maybe it would change. And so maybe you share in this crippled man's despair. Maybe he's more relatable than you thought because as hard as you try and as much of the world's solutions that you seem to continue to consume, you still feel like something is missing. And I'm telling you, college and culture, they have put their solutions before you. All of, all of you know what they are. You see them, and some of you have even already begun to try them. And maybe coming here, like I said, was the experience of freedom you wanted, the ache in your heart, it's still there. Even subconsciously, I believe all of you are fighting for it. All of us fight for it. But I don't talk to you as if I don't understand. I talk to you knowing full well because I never made it to assault kickoff, at least for the first two years of my college life. I couldn't tell you a single football game I went to my freshman year of Iowa State, but I can tell you I went to all of them. I believed the world's lies about what it was that was missing in my heart and its lie that it could solve it, that it could fill it and it could save me until I was totally depressed, believing I guess this is how I'll always feel. I just kept living an empty life. And I want you to see if you're like that, how Jesus responds to this man because it's the same way I think he wants to respond to you. Watch him. In verse 8, he says this, get up. I mean, just imagine him looking right into this man's eyes. I don't think he says, get up. I think he leans in. And I think he says the thing that this man's been longing to heal, to hear for 38 years, get up. Get up. He says, pick up your bedroll, I don't know, like a Hebrew yoga mat, and walk. <laughs> Instantly, the man got well. See that? Instantly. Not in a few minutes, instantly. Jesus doesn't mess around. He picks up his bedroll, and he starts to walk. I want us to see the mercy of Jesus. I want you to see Jesus didn't wait for this guy to try to stand up. Jesus doesn't wait for him to have the right answer. He didn't even say, yes, I want to be healed. He just complained and revealed his hopelessness. He doesn't even wait for this guy to ask Jesus for help. Guys, I don't even think he knew who Jesus was. 
But Jesus is here in his mercy responding to his hopelessness. He rips through the murky skies this man had been living with. And maybe for the first time, he now sees the sun. Jesus is the help this man needed, completely apart from anything that this crippled man said or did. He didn't even know that it was Jesus standing in front of him. And I love this. He doesn't even say thank you. Oh, sweet. All right, I'm gone. He just starts walking away. And so far, this is unlike any response Jesus has gotten so far in the Gospel of John. There was this woman a few pages ago, so amazed by Jesus and the things he told her that she convinced a whole village to come listen to him. Just sentences before this, I told you that story. This Roman soldier went back and his whole family believes in Jesus. This guy, he tells him, I've probably got no chance. Didn't even know who Jesus was. But here's one thing he did do. He stood up. It was small, but it mattered. He stood up. Do you see the mercy of Jesus in this moment? See, I think we can come to Christianity, what we have heard about or maybe seen, and believe that it's about having the right answers or behaving just the right way, that you have to do everything just right to receive this mercy or this salvation or maybe this joy that all these Christians seem to have. And if you look at what just happened, that is so not the case. But then things get a little sticky because the first few steps back into his community, so he's leaving that life behind, trying to walk into a new one, and things don't go the way you would expect. If you continue, verse 10 says, now that day was the Sabbath. Okay, that could be a totally weird word for you guys. It was just a day of rest. God had given the Jewish people a command, I want you to rest And he did that because he wanted them to realize they were not God, because even God rested after he created the earth, and he wanted them to realize they were finite, they were human. He wanted them to be humble. So in verse 10, the story continues. So on this Sabbath day, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your bedroll and walk. Like, why are you freaking out at me? Who is this man who told you, pick up your bedroll and walk, they asked. And remember, I told you, he has no idea who did that. The man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Like, can you just see him sliding into the bushes? You know what I'm talking about. You've all used gift keyboard. You've been there. Like, yeah. Sliding into the bushes. But I think it's because he, he knew what was about to happen. Jesus, he kind of does this stuff. But he does it for a purpose. We'll get there. I mean, okay. They had to have known who this guy was. And the first thing they go is, you're breaking the law. Not like, hey, holy crap, Frank can walk. We should do something about this, right? (laughs) 38 years he sat by that pool. Even if they rarely went there, they probably remembered. That guy seems to always be there. And if he's walking in front of you, I feel like the first thing I do is like, do you need some Nikes? Like, have you ever ran before? This is insane. Like, I would freak out. Instead, they're all hot and bothered because he's got his yoga mat under his arm, right? (laughs) walking for the first time in 38 years and they're all huffy about something that seems so small and something that God clearly wasn't upset about because Jesus told him to do it. If it was really a big deal to carry your yoga mat, God wouldn't have told him to do it. And like I said, I think Jesus told him to do this because again, not to just shame these Jews, but to reveal their hearts too. He had him do this. This law, this idea of like, don't hold your yoga mat. It wasn't a yoga mat, but I'm just gonna keep calling it that. Don't hold your mat. Don't carry it on the Sabbath. It was one of these like 40 or so extra rules that the Jews had added to the Sabbath. 
See, they had taken the law, which was this thing that God had given to them that was supposed to help them flourish. And in misunderstanding it, they manipulated it into something that could increase their own sense of deserving God's favor. They had turned it into this opportunity for them to show how holy they were, basically. It was meant for humility, this act of mercy, the Sabbath, and they responded to it by making it into an opportunity to try and highlight their own holiness, right? To highlight themselves. And while the crippled man may not have said, thank you, these Jews totally miss what it is Jesus is doing in this moment. Their response to this miracle actually reveals their hearts were even more crippled than that man's legs. They were missing it. See, the Christian life is not about our ability to behave or perform in a way that God sees us, but it's actually about responding to the fact that we could do nothing and he did it for us. And I want to free those of you who maybe grew up in places where you're living now or have a bad taste in your mouth because you believe that this whole Christian thing is about what you do or don't do. The reality is it's about what Jesus has done. I'm telling you right now, and this is a good thing, God is not impressed with you. God is not impressed with you. And here's a spoiler alert. It's like my whole moment here with you together. This is not a story about a crippled man, and this is not a story about some Jews who get really upset. This is a story about Jesus. And Jesus does want us to respond somehow. Let's see exactly how that is. Verse 14, after this, so Jesus slides back out of the bushes or crowd of people, finds this man in the temple and he says to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse does not happen to you. That's a weird thing to say after you helped a guy walk. We'll get there. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. He goes and tells on him, okay, leave me alone. It was that Jesus guy. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. See, the crippled man doesn't even then go looking for Jesus. Jesus comes to him. And even after all of this, he doesn't even say a thank you. We don't have it written there. He just actually goes and tells on Jesus. And look, if I'm the son of God, and I'm trying to get people to realize who it is I am and what it is I'm doing, I would never have chosen this guy. I would have chosen somebody like the woman at the well who would have gotten the whole temple to come and see me, hear me, and listen to what it was that I had to say. But I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in choosing this man. This was not a surprise to Jesus. It was very much on purpose because I think he knew that it would be written down and I think he knew that tonight it would be read over all of you. I think he picked him because it's not about what we do or our response necessarily. Jesus doesn't help us or heal us because we've somehow acted in a way that makes us worthy candidates or doing it just right. He actually helps us because he's loving. It's just who he is. He helps us because he's merciful. It's just who he is. And he came for people who don't know how to live. Not to make sure that they do it exactly right, but to show them, maybe for the first time, how to live the right way in the first place. And maybe even more than anything, the reason we know this is because his parting words to this man reveal that his working legs were not actually his greatest need. I mean, if that was true, wouldn't he say something like, hey, man, so invest in something called sandals. It'll help you not step in camel poop. They're great. I've got a pair on. It's super helpful, right? No, his response 
is go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Because this man may have had working legs, but his greatest problem was actually his heart. The most crippled thing about this man wasn't even his legs. It was actually his heart. Jesus' concern for us is not first our physical wholeness, but our spiritual wholeness. This story makes it clear. He absolutely cares and will sometimes heal people, but more than anything, it was supposed to be a symbol or a sign of something greater and truer that needed to be done. And I'm telling you right now, if you're on this field, the ache you feel, the inability, no matter what you do to feel whole, will never be found in anything this world is offering you. It will never be found even in your ability to look really good on the outside. And it certainly doesn't have to do with you making sure you follow all the right steps to earn his love. Every solution the world offers to, if you notice, requires something from you. Typically so much that it kind of ruins you, but that's the beauty of Jesus too, is he does it all for you. And all of us on this field, whether we push it away or not, have sin crippling our hearts. And Jesus is the only one and a very willing one who can meet our greatest need, meet us in our feelings of incompleteness and make us whole. And he can do this because if you keep flipping the chapters of this book and the other gospels, you will see that Jesus actually ends up on a cross. And on that cross, he took all the sin sickness. He took all our broken pieces with him on that cross and he was crippled and murdered so we could be cured. And not staying dead, but leaving sin and death and our brokenness in the grave. He can now go to each of us in his response to us, to our brokenness and even to our abilities to try to seem worth it. As he can say, do you want to be well? Because I can make you well. And that's the question I believe he's asking each and every one of you on this field tonight. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be made well? And the best part about it is it's not necessarily that we give the perfect answer. But we just have to stand up. Remember this guy, although he seemed ungrateful and we have no idea actually if he took Jesus' words seriously, but that little shred, that little moment of faith, he heard what Jesus told him to do, and he stood up. And Jesus is probably saying to some of you tonight, turn from those attempts to fill your heart and come to me. Not perfectly, but walk, go forward, follow. And it's not about how well we walk. It's just that we start doing it. And like I said, I think he's walking through this crowd, looking each of us in the eyes, asking us the question, do you want to be well? And even if it's feeble, maybe even if it's, I think so. He wants you to lean into that and he wants to do it. This is why Salt Company exists. It's not so that the music is really great and it meets our preferences. It's not just so that we can have a group of people 
to gather with and feel like we're a part of something greater than ourselves. It's existing here on this place because we're all admitting something is not whole within me, but I found the one willing to make me complete. That is why we're here. And our response to him doing that is not try harder or be perfect. It's just get up and walk. And at Salt Company, if you stay here and if you keep coming, we're gonna walk together. Not perfectly, not exactly right, but we're gonna keep walking and we're gonna follow him together. And so now I'm gonna pray and I'm asking you, even if it's kind of weird, listen and see if he asks you that question. And if he says yes, you don't have to physically stand up, but I'm asking you to lean in. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you saw that none of us had the ability in and of ourselves and no thing or person on this earth could fill the hole that existed inside of us. And not waiting for us to respond, not waiting, us, waiting for us to show signs of life, you just came into our brokenness and you respond with mercy. And tonight I pray for anyone who's never heard this before, maybe heard broken versions of it. Tonight, Jesus, I pray that you would make them whole that you would start a new story in them like you did in that crippled man's life. And although we don't know how his story ended, we can be part of the beginning of so many stories in this place. And I pray that they would begin and that they would carry not just for a little while or for a few months, but that they would carry into eternity, into the life that you have promised to give us instead of giving us what we deserve in our sin. Jesus, would you make us whole? As we sing, Jesus, would you make us whole? Would we use this opportunity to thank you that it's all about you and nothing to do with us? But would we stand up like that crippled man and would we begin to walk?